Power reminded me of a very close friend of mine who told me that the first time she ever came to a retreat, it was about eight years ago when we were teaching a retreat up in Maine, Bucksport, Maine. And she brought her knitting and about five books she had meant to read and um, all kinds of things that she had left undone. She meant to learn how to crochet and all sorts of things during this 10-day retreat. And then she arrived and she was told that actually there was nothing at all that happened during the retreat, that it was the perfect cultivation of doing nothing at all. And so she left all that behind and she came in to the, um, the room where people were registering and she saw the schedule that was posted up on the bulletin board. And she was told at that point that the retreat was held in silence, which she hadn't known before. And she was absolutely appalled. And then she noticed that up at the end of the schedule in the evening, there was a slot at, at seven o'clock which said talk. And she thought, oh great, at least we get to talk for an hour a day. <laughs> and she was so relieved. But in fact, we get to talk for an hour a day. You don't really get to talk for an hour a day. So welcome. I'd like to very sincerely welcome you and extend my gratitude as well for all of your coming here. It is always something of an effort to arrive, to give up whatever one is um, involved with in ordinary life and to leave it behind and to come here and be willing to explore and see what might be offered here. I'd like to talk just a little bit tonight about <clears throat> the context of doing the retreat, the retreat environment, and go on to begin to describe the actual meditation practice. This retreat center was founded about eight years ago by a group of us, Jack and myself, some other people, who had been in Asia in different times, studying and practicing forms of Buddhist meditation. What we wanted to do in bringing together this facility was to be able to establish a situation which would express what we felt to be the essence of what we had found there without a lot of the cultural trappings and rituals that had surrounded our own exposure to the practice, to be able to distill what seemed to be most essential in terms of self-exploration. In fact, many people ask about the Buddha statues and the images that, and the different sort of artwork that is all around and wonder what a statue could actually have to do with the meditation practice and whether there's some form of, of worship. And in fact, the reason that we have all this artwork is because Jack had collected it over a number of years when he was in the Peace Corps in Thailand. And when we moved in here, we had this vast empty building and nothing to put in it. And so one day he wrote to his mother and she sent out seven boxes of statues and hangings and things that had been in her attic for years. And we have them around really as inspirational reminders, not as 
externalizations or objects that we focus on particularly, what they symbolize is actually a potential made manifest, a potential that is within all of us to understand our lives, what they're about, being alive, dying, to understand deeply, to feel free, not to feel driven and bound and confused and uncertain about who we are and what we do, but to have a sense of freedom, of totality and completeness. That's the symbol or the manifestation in an image like the image of the Buddha, someone whose mind and heart were free, someone who was realized, who understood through their own exploration, through their own personal investigation of the nature of things. And so recognition that that potential is existent with each, within each human being, within all of us right here and now. The original teachings of the Buddha, as I'm sure with probably many other saints of many religious traditions, were actually not very religious at all in the sense that we tend to use that word. There is, in fact, <clears throat> in, that, in that primary essence, no dogma and no set of beliefs. There's no compulsion towards blind faith and there's no allegiance to any particular identity. One isn't asked to become a Buddhist or to renounce perhaps another religious faith that is meaningful. Within the essence of this teaching are found simply several techniques for each individual to use to better be able to understand themselves and the process of this mind and body and the world and our relationship to the world, to the universe. Last year, somebody, I was taking a class at UMass Medical Center in Worcester and somebody mentioned a study that had been done where each resident of a nursing home had been given a plant and half of the people in this nursing home were given a plant and were told that they need take no responsibility for it at all. They could simply enjoy it, that the nursing staff would water it and take care of it, and, and they could just enjoy it knowing that they, they had it in their rooms. The other half of the population of the nursing home was given a plant and they were told that they had to take care of it. They had to involve themselves directly in its care. They had to water it and feed it and whatever, move it in the sunlight. This went on for a year. The end of this year, they discovered that the population or the part of the population of the nursing home who had taken care of their plants, who had become connected and involved in nurturing and caring for the plant every day, were much healthier, much more aware and alive to their external environment, much more connected to other activities, and were living a lot longer. 
than the other half of the people in the nursing home, even though they also had plants. This was considered a study on the effects and the power of intimacy. When I heard this, aside from just sensing a lot of different things about intimacy and in relation to anything, even a plant, being a powerful healing and awakening force in one's life. I also had a thought that it was a little peculiar that when we thought of intimacy and caring and connectedness, we tended to think about that process, that way of relating, as something we did towards others or with others, other people or animals or even a plant. And it was not something that we tended to think of in terms of ourselves, being really intimate with ourselves and all kinds of different aspects of our experience, being connected or feeling connected, feeling caring and nurturing towards ourselves in that way, just as we might consider connecting to someone else. And I think that's very key, that there is a sense often we have of separation from ourselves or from some aspect of ourselves or from our own experience, as though it were far away and we couldn't connect. We can't come close to it. We can't feel at home with it. We've lost the power of intimacy with ourselves, with all aspects of our being. And this is what meditation directly addresses, is that returning to our own experience, to being awake to it, to opening to it, embracing it, and embracing ourselves, different parts of ourselves in that process. We also learn to trust our own experience, because in the process of meditation, where we go within, and direct the force of awareness within, we're not looking towards external reference points. We're not comparing our experience to someone else's or some, some standard, but learning to trust ourselves. The process of meditation is the process of clearing away. It's clearing away the veils of conditioning that tend to obscure our vision, our sense of things. What we discover in developing a practice, a meditative practice, we discover for ourselves, and we discover it through the sensitivity of noticing, of watchfulness, of paying attention. It's the sensitivity of observation that we're working with. Clearing away the different habits and patterns and veils of conditioning that might cloud, that might distort or desensitize our direct perception. Because of this, 
What this practice is about is being able to pay attention in a clear and open way to whatever is happening. It is not about having any particular experience happen. It is not about getting or having some fantastic state of consciousness that we can then maintain and care for and take with us and carry around wherever we go. It is about being able to be flexible and resilient and open in mind and body so that we can relate fully to whatever is happening in the moment, allowing it to arise, allowing it to pass away. It is not about any particular thing happening. And that's why there is no way to succeed or fail. There's no standard to judge by. It's not as though one of you sitting in this room is going to get the trophy, you know, and be able to take it home. Or on the other side of the scale, um, emerge from this weekend an abysmal failure. There is no such thing. It is, it is not to have a particular thing happen that we're here but to be able to cultivate more and more and more of an ability to be fully aware and conscious of that which is happening, who we are in each moment. An image that I like to use is that, is thinking of meditation as turning on a light in a dark room. If you walk into a room and you turn on a light, it doesn't matter if the room has been dark for a day and a half or for 10,000 years. You just walk in and you turn on the light. And most likely, it's a little bit, I think, like walking into to an old attic somewhere and turning on the light. And we find some glorious forgotten objects and we find some very dusty corners and we find some shrouded sort of mysterious figures, and we find some things that had we but known we'd been keeping them all this time, we would gladly have thrown them out. And we find just all kinds of things, the complete range of possibilities. And that's what it's like in embarking on some process of discovery or exploration within. There are some wonderful moments and there are some terrible moments and there are some very funny moments and there are some frightening moments and it is just it is opening to the whole range of who we are to the entire set of possibilities understanding that each aspect or each experience is just one of many and that it will come and it will go so what one needs, almost more than anything else, in pursuing this sincerely, is patience. Is an ability just to allow what is happening to be happening and know that it's okay. And then as it changes, to be able to move on. So more than anything else, what is of tremendous value in being here is simply to be patient, to understand that there is no special thing that should be happening, and so you don't need to feel frustrated or disturbed 
if it's not happening, but recognizing that it will be an entire range of different emotional and psychological and spiritual and physical experiences. The process of understanding in this context is not at all a metaphysical or intellectual process, but it's very, very pragmatic. So it is, again, not a question at all of trying to consider or debate whether or not one is going to become a Buddhist or renounce something else or whatever. It is not really a discovery on that level. An example that one of my teachers used was, if you imagine two people who are going to physicians and are both diagnosed as having malaria, the remedy for which is quinine. And one of these people gets the prescription from the doctor and goes off to the medical library and starts studying the history and the chemical composition of quinine. And they study, you know, all the history and the discovery and all the derivative drugs and all of the various uses that quinine can be, can be used for and all the possibilities and the history of how it was first experimented with and all of that. And they never take the pill. The other person gets the prescription and takes the pill. If they then want to go to the medical library and discover all of that whole other range of knowledge, then that's wonderful, that's fine. But what's important is taking the pill. The process of meditation is not about acquiring more knowledge. It's not an, acqu an acquisition in that sense. It's about understanding or wisdom, which is on a very different level. It's a level of intuition and personal discovery. Often we, given our cultural conditioning, have a very strong sense of control if we can understand something intellectually. We feel we've mastered it. And yet it's not so. Often the very simplicity of it eludes us. And so what we have to do in coming to a situation like this is to return again and again to the very pragmatic, simple level that the practice actually takes place on. And just to be able to return to that again and again, even as we, we might find delight in trying to figure something out intellectually or compare this system to another system, to be able to return to the moment's experience through the form of the practice. The retreat environment itself is designed to enhance the power and the simplicity of this experience. Many people come and they feel somewhat apprehensive about being silent, even just for a couple of days. And yet there's, there's great beauty in silence. There's great there are many possibilities in silence, more possibilities in silence than we might imagine. And so part of what happens here is just taking refuge in the silence, making friends with it, feeling comfortable with it, resting in the silence. We ask that people 
as well maintain a sense of aloneness. And that includes not reading, not writing. This also can be very powerful. Often what happens is that we look for some sort of validation of our own experience through someone else or through something else. You know, you might be reading a book on meditation and then be meditating and then thinking, gee, you know, where was that? You know, what happened? And what we try to do is really again and again return to that sense of trusting our own experience and not relying upon borrowed wisdom, not relying upon the experiences of someone related in a book or someone else sitting in this room. But being able to touch deeply upon our own sense of what is true. The basic <clears throat> five precepts, which um, were in written form in one of the sheets that you received, of not killing and not stealing and not telling lies, not committing uh, sexual activity and not taking any kind of intoxicants, for the time that you're here, are all designed to enhance the sense of power in being alone and clarity and lightness and ease in being here. So that's the foundation, really, the retreat environment for being able to, for these days, pursue this form of meditation practice. The practice itself will be given in process, will change the instruction as the days go on at different sittings so that it becomes more of a composite view, beginning with pretty simple concentration techniques and leading on to a more inclusive process of being aware. <clears throat> All of the different techniques that we'll go into here are based on a few simple principles. And these are, one, coming into an experience of the present moment, of what's happening right here and now, and experiencing it in a way that is not comparing it to the past, and in a way that's not projecting it into the future, but experiencing it fully as it is not with a reference point, not in relation to some idea or ideal or image or concept, experiencing it directly in the moment, being able to be wholehearted and total and full in our sense of being connected to our experience of this very moment. Also in experiencing it directly, <clears throat> not being guided by concepts or opinions or images, but being able to abandon them for the moment for the sake of a more personal and intimate vision of what seems to be true. A more direct vision of the nature of things based on our own experience. And the third principle is 
unwinding some of the habits or beginning to unwind some of the habits that keep us bound, that keep us caught in different cycles that create more separation for us, more of a sense of alienation from our lives and from ourselves. <clears throat> for example, one thing that becomes very clear here as we begin to pay attention to things that we ordinarily do very mechanically, like walking and eating and walking around and looking around, is that we often get involved in a really strong addiction to more and more and more increased sensation or level of stimulation. Because when we are experiencing something and we are not wholehearted and we're not totally present and we're not really alive to that moment, then there is no way that it can be fulfilling. Instead of looking at the quality of our attentiveness or our awakeness in that moment, what we tend to do is look at what's happening, find it dissatisfying and reach out for more and more and more. So that if we're eating an apple and we're not paying any attention to how it tastes and so we're not experiencing it because we're thinking about something else or we're you know, divided some way in our attention, then most likely one of our first thoughts at the end of eating that apple would be, gee, I wish I had a banana. <laughs> and so maybe we'll race off and we'll get a banana and we'll eat that in just the same way without really experiencing it, without really being there. And one of our first thoughts will be something exotic. You know, I need a pineapple. That's what I really need. And then I'd feel some sense of, you know, joy in this. And we rush off and get a pineapple, and that's probably not enough because we eat it in precisely the same way. You know, our minds are in New York, and our minds are here, and our minds are there. And, um, and we think, ah, oh, mango, you know, mangoes are rare and precious. That, that's what I need. And then it'll be really a special time. And we just do this, and we do this, and we do this. And it's a kind of endless cycle of craving and lack of fulfillment. Because we're looking in the wrong place for satisfaction. We're looking for an external object to be completely fulfilling. When we ourselves are not bringing the quality of attention or awakeness to the experience that would make it fulfilling. And so there's never satisfaction. That's the kind of pattern that we begin to see in being here and begin to unwind as we sense other possibilities or other ways of being. So it's coming to the present being in our present experience, not bound to the past and bound to the future, being able to experience what is present directly as it is, not so much having our sense of it clouded or distorted by concept or idea or image, and then being able to step away from some of the patterns or habits that lead to a greater sense of dissatisfaction or lack of fulfillment in our lives. We do three basic types of practice here. 
One is sitting meditation, one is walking meditation, and the other includes everything else we do during the day. So that, that is a kind of composite group of eating and walking around and going to bed and taking a shower and all of the other things that we do during the day, trying to include them within the realm of what we sense meditation to be. Meditation being not just that formal posture of sitting in a kind of peculiar way, but meditation being that quality of mind which is engaged and open and connected to each activity, whether we're sitting or walking or about to go to bed, whatever it might be. It's that, that, that sense of attentiveness. What I'd like to do tonight is uh, go through the instruction for the sitting meditation and do that together for a little while and talk just a little bit about um, the meditation or the meditative spirit to try to bring to activities throughout the day. And then tomorrow morning I'll go through the instructions for the walking meditation. stretch, just get up and when you sit you can take any position that feels comfortable. Um, you're welcome to sit in a chair or on a bench. There's some benches usually in the room uh, where people leave their coats and shoes. You can try any combination of cushions that seems like it might be helpful. Usually um, it's helpful if you sit in some way with your back reasonably erect, not necessarily arched, but straight so that the breath will be more natural and there'll be less of a tendency towards sleepiness, which there tends to be a great tendency towards anyway. So anything we can do to help stay awake is usually very valuable. So sit fairly erect. If you're sitting on a cushion, it's helpful usually if your knees touch the ground. So that might mean more cushions sitting higher. And you're also welcome to experiment. If you sit on a cushion this time and it feels very uncomfortable, you might try a chair next time or a bench and just keep experimenting and see how things go. It's helpful once you've sat or assumed a posture not to move very much because a continual movement of the body will just increase the continual movement of the mind. And so, as much as possible, to sit relatively still. So sit in some way that feels comfortable. Close your eyes. And take a few deep breaths, just trying to relax the body with each breath. Just let the tension drop. Feel the breath as it enters and leaves the nostrils, that area. Take a few deep, contrived breaths. Feel the breath come in and go out.
Feel the breath as it fills the chest and the abdomen as you take these deep breaths. Feel the different sensations of the breath. They might be tingling or heat or cold or vibration or throbbing or tension or pulling, all kinds of different sensations that make up the experience of each breath. And then allow the breath to become natural without forcing it or controlling it. And settle back into the experience of the in and out breath, feeling the different sensations as the breath enters the nostrils, fills the body, and then leaves. <coughs> the breath will happen naturally. You don't have to make it happen. You simply want to be experiencing it fully as it's happening. as you feel the in and out breath, you might make a brief mental notation using words like in and out to help keep your attention more focused on those feelings. Allowing the breath to be natural, feeling, as, feeling it as it enters, as it fills the body, and as it leaves. Just letting it be there, paying careful attention to it. If you find your attention wandering to a sensation in your body, or to a sound, or to a thought, to an emotion, whatever it might be, as soon as you become aware that your attention has wandered from the breath, right in that moment, just gently let go of whatever it was and return to the breath. There's no need or time for a sense of struggle or conflict or judgment or evaluation or analysis. Simply return. It may be a wondrous thought. It may be a terrible thought. It doesn't matter. As soon as you become aware that your attention is not with the breath, gently let go of whatever that distracting element might have been without judgment or evaluation, just let go. Perhaps take another deep breath and begin again. 
you lose that sense of the feeling of the breath, you can take one or two deep breaths. And then again, just allow the breath to be natural, to be normal. Paying attention to those sensations. as relaxed as possible. No need to struggle or strive. The breath will happen anyway. You don't have to make it happen. Drop into a full experience of the present moment through the vehicle of the breath. In and out. Find that your attention starts wandering. Very gently let go of whatever it has been, a thought or a memory or sound or a sensation in the body. Return your attention to the sensation of the in and out breath.
of the very special things about meditation practice is that there's always the ability to begin again. So wherever the attention has wandered, however far afield, or for however long, just in a moment, we can begin again in recognizing that the attention has wandered away from the breath, just to be able to gently let go of whatever it is, whether it's lasted a minute or two minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes, whether we've gone around the room five times or around the world five times. As soon as we recognize that our attention is not in the present moment with the breath, Right then, we can begin again. in and out. Just the simple direct awareness of something that we usually do completely mechanically. 
paying attention to the feeling of each breath. You can open your eyes now. Does anybody have any questions about what they've just experienced is um, often very difficult, especially in in a situation like this where where uh, you know we come together for just a few days. Um, it is important to undertake it in that spirit of uh, that openness and expansiveness and that um, expression of being willing to accept whatever appears, to undertake it, 
to undertake the practice in that spirit. Coming here for a few days is often very difficult. When we live in the world, we're generally accustomed to a certain level of sensory stimulation. We come to a situation like this where we're not talking a lot, we're not reading a lot, and we're not able to just distract ourselves by going to the refrigerator or going to the movies or picking up the telephone. Somehow within the mind is almost like there's a switch which says, oh, it's quiet, it must be bedtime. And so there's, there's a, almost a decompression that happens as we begin to adjust to a much lesser degree of sensory stimulation. And within that period, sometimes there are strong bouts of sleepiness and restlessness. We just start craving something, you know, there's nothing happening. I just want something to be happening. So there's a lot of sleepiness and there's a lot of restlessness and agitation till we come to some sense of balance and ease in this situation. In trying to sit and concentrate the mind on the breath, the mind will wander at least a million times an hour. It would be very bizarre if it did not. Sometimes a billion times an hour. That is not something you need to be concerned about or anxious about or dismayed about. What is important is that when you become aware that the attention has wandered, that you take that time to express the commitment to returning to the simplicity of watching the breath. Because it is at that moment that there is all the temptation to stay with the thought and figure it out, or complete it, or judge it. Just to be able to let go and return to the breath, that is our practice for now. And the mind will wander incessantly to the past and to the future and to all kinds of things. That is just the conditioned nature of the mind. That is outside of our control. It's not something that you have to feel um, distressed over. But just at those moments of being aware that the attention has wandered, to have the commitment to return to the breath. That is what is important. It may not be that there will be a lot of uh, peacefulness or blissfulness or, or great ecstatic experience here. But with a fair amount of patience and that sense of uh, perseverance and persistent application and renewal of awareness and mindfulness in the moment, then certainly one can come to a much deeper understanding of themselves. And this is what being here is really about. So don't feel um, unusual if you find that it is difficult and that there are times of great sleepiness and times of great restlessness and times of not remembering there is such a thing as the breath as the mind wanders off into exotica, you know. It's like that. But to develop a patient and persistent effort in returning to the present moment is what's important.
what we do in the times other than in the formal sitting and walking is also quite simple. And that is, we try to slow down as much as possible that is still comfortable. Slowing down quite a lot and trying to do one thing at a time just for the purpose of being able to appreciate more fully all the different component elements of each action, of each movement, of each way of being. So that in, in reaching for something, you might reach very slowly just to be able to feel all the different elements of reaching and touching it, to really feel it, to, to explore the tactile sensations of touching an object and then perhaps moving it. If you go outside, and if you're taking a walk, to move very slowly, except when there are neighbors around. <laughs> and to, to pay attention to hearing, and to seeing, and to smelling, trying to do one thing at a time, and to be there fully. In eating, moving very slowly, doing one thing at a time. It doesn't have to be weird or contrived, and you don't have to feel self-conscious because everybody does it here. But it's an opportunity, actually, to pay really exquisite attention to the kinds of things that we normally rush about doing very mechanically, without any sense of what they are. And there's nothing special to discover in these actions. It's just to move slowly enough so that we can begin to see things in terms of the many elements that compose them, rather than just one fast, blurred action. To slow down and to appreciate, to get more of a sense of sensitivity and connectedness to the different moments of our day, because it is these moments that really make up our lives. Moments of standing still, moments of reaching out, moments of walking, and moments of eating. That is what our lives are made of, largely. And so it's developing a much deeper sense of relatedness to these moments. So it's very simple. Slow down, do one thing at a time, and pay attention. Pay attention to whatever is the predominant experience. It might be hearing, or seeing, or touch sensation. Sensation somewhere in the body, or smelling, or tasting. Whatever it is, just to focus on that as a meditation. And in that way, the meditation becomes a thread, or the meditative stance becomes a thread that unifies our entire day from the moment we get up until the moment we go to sleep. It is a certain spirit or attitude that we bring to all of our experiences. So we begin in that way, in sitting, paying attention to the breath, learning how to return the attention to the breath once it wanders. Walking will go through tomorrow morning. And then all the other times throughout the day, 
taking advantage of this opportunity to enjoy and have fun with exploring so many aspects of our ordinary kind of activity and to get into it as carefully as possible. Does anybody have any questions about that? I really reiterate that you will go through, most likely go through everything. And just to be able to appreciate it all as part of a flowing change, there will be moments when you will wonder how you can sell your car so that you can stay here for the rest of the year. And there'll be moments when you'll wonder how in the world you ever ended up here. And, you know, will anyone notice if you leave on Saturday night instead of Sunday? And it just, it goes on and on and on. A lot of changes, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of just different spaces. And you can just allow them to be there knowing that they will change. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.